0: This morning, we're going to, our New Testament reading is going to be from John chapter 7, and we're going to be reading verses 32 through 36 of John chapter 7. Hear the word of the Lord. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, And where I am you cannot come. Our sermon text is, is one verse today from Second uh, Corinthians three, and we're going to be reading verse eighteen of Second Corinthians chapter three. Great verse here. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the Word of God. You may be seated.
1: Amen. Thank you, Mark. Good singing, church. Man, what a joy to start this series with you today. Uh, Just let the name roll over your... Your your vocal cords and your uh, throat, your mouth, whatever, your lips, your mind. The name of Jesus, Jesus. As the songwriter said, there's something about that name. For kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. And Scripture has assigned to him many names. They begin in Genesis, the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head, and end in Revelation, the lamb on the throne who takes the scroll and opens the seals, and all the names in between, from both Old Testament and New Testament. And we're going to take a few months and study a lot of these names together. We won't get them all. One of the challenges of this series, will be deciding which ones to leave out. We will uh, briefly comment on some and dive deeper into others, as you will see today as we begin. And our motivation for this study, as we said last week, is to respond to Peter's challenge that we received in the last verse of 2 Peter 2 chapter 3 but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want to grow in our knowledge of Jesus. We want to grow in our understanding of just how wonderful he is and we do that by examining the names that the scripture gives him. And as we do that, as the our sermon text tells us, We grow spiritually. We are transformed into his likeness. We are sanctified. We grow in spiritual maturity. We are being saved, that present tense of salvation. We are being saved from the power of sin in our lives. Getting to know Jesus better helps us fight the battle against sin. The sin that he died for, the sin that he's already paid for, the sin that we wonderfully and gloriously will not have to answer for. He's already answered for it for us 2,000 years ago. And we're going to do this through the corporate pondering every Sunday morning of the names of our Lord and Savior, the names given to him in the Bible the names that express his beautiful, wonderful, perfect, incomparable character. And as we reflect on them, we will be doing what scripture tells us to do in several places, like our sermon text. We will be beholding the glory of the Lord. Or Hebrews 3.1, we will be considering Jesus or Hebrews 12.2 we will be looking to Jesus or as another translation says we will be fixing our eyes on him or as Psalm 27.4 says we will be gazing upon the beauty of the Lord man it's going to be great times together it's going to be wonderful Sunday mornings together, as all our Sunday mornings have been. And what will happen when we do this? What will happen as we go through this process of examining and pondering and considering and studying the names of Jesus? Well, our sermon text tells us we will be transformed into His image. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Or as another translation says, from glory to to glory from one level of glory to another. We all entered here this morning if we're Christians we all entered here this morning at at a certain level of glory that God has brought us to, a certain level of our sanctification. And as we behold Jesus in the five names we're going to look at today hopefully, prayerfully we will leave here at the next level of glory that God has for us. Isn't that amazing to think about? I mean, Sunday mornings, they're not just a, 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 a trite ritual that we go through on the, par of, uh, on the same level uh, as watching TV or checking our phones. This is corporate worship. This is corporate beholding of Jesus. This is why we're here. No other reason. Except maybe encouraging one another. Okay, you can throw that one in there. Okay? Worshiping Jesus, worshiping God, getting to know Jesus, singing the glory of his name, encouraging one another. That's why we're here. We're not here for any other reason. No other reason. May God plant that deep in our hearts and souls. And may this be the most important part of our of our week as a church family as the people of God. Nothing else is on par with this. This is where we behold Jesus together as God's people. So, as we said, as we consider Jesus through studying His names, we will be becoming more like Him. And that will be happening together, together as a body, which is a very, very good thing. Think about it. It's good for us individually, individually because we, we as individuals become more like Jesus. It's good for us corporately, corporately because our church family thus becomes more Christ-centered and more Christ-exalting and more Christ conscious. That's what we want, right? Our children see us studying Jesus. They see us getting to know Jesus better. And as they do that, we beg God to put that desire in their little hearts. This is what mom and daddy want, so it must be important. Mom and daddy want to know Jesus better. So this must be a, an important thing in life. And then it's good for everybody around us in our in our spheres of influence, whether it be extended family, outside of our church family, or, or co workers or neighbors, because they have the opportunity to be touched by, comforted by encouraged by loved by jesus in and through us so it's a it's a good thing all around beholding jesus considering jesus fixing our eyes on jesus gazing upon his beauty it's a good thing all around it's a good thing for everybody involved so every sunday for the next season of our church life together. I make no promises, put no stipulations, no ending dates on it. For the next season of church life together. We want to come with the deep heartfelt prayer that was embodied by the request of those Greek guys who came to Philip in John 12, 21 and said, sir, we wish to see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. I pray that's the heart you'll enter those doors with every Sunday. I want to see Jesus. Preacher, help me see Jesus. Help the spiritual eyes of my heart be enthralled and fixed on the person of Jesus. So that's my prayer, that our spiritual eyes We'll be open wider and wider, Sunday by Sunday, to the wonder of Jesus as we open this precious book every Lord's Day and ponder together His glorious names. Let's pray. Father, thank You for another Sunday morning together. Thank You for gathering us once again. God, I pray that You would give us a deep, deep desire to know Jesus better. Pray for those in here who do not know Jesus at all. You would give them a new heart. Take out the ignorant of Jesus heart of stone. And put in a new hungering for Jesus heart of flesh. Please do that. For your people gathered here today. May our number one desire be to know your son better. And then we can trust you to grow us in the grace and knowledge of who he is. So we thank you for that, Father. In advance, we thank you. And we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our corporate heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All righty, let's begin. We're going to start this study alphabetically. Uh, I'm not promising that we will keep it like that. Uh, We may jump to a name that doesn't begin with the next letter of the alphabet because of a connection. For example, next week, okay, we're going to continue with the A's. You know, I already got 13 names on just the letter A, Okay got to decide which one's not to do but next week will still be an a and what's an obvious one because it's ascension sunday the ascended one okay and then we'll look at the names connected to that okay like intercessor high priest things like it's going to be a wonder i'm so excited about this study i'm excited about every study but the names of jesus i mean can you think of a better i can't think of a much better topic uh than than the names of jesus uh, but our, beginning with the letter A, here we go. Our first we find in Revelation chapter 22. Uh, I got a ring here. I don't know what's it's bothering them. Uh, I'll, I'll press through it. No big deal. Uh, but just wanted to let you guys know about that. Okay, all right. Um, okay, so Revelation 22, verse 13. Behold, this is Jesus speaking. Uh, John, as you know, the, the Revelator, John, the writer of Revelation, has been given this vision of what's going on in heaven, and he gets this vision of Jesus. So he gets these direct words from Jesus himself in heaven. And in chapter 22, Jesus says this, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am, here's our name for the first name, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So Jesus is Alpha and Omega. As you know, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. So what is Jesus saying by telling us that's one of his names? He is basically saying that he is the beginning and the end of all things that matter. The beginning and end of all things that truly matter. That last phrase is important. All things that truly matter. We mess around with a lot of things that don't really matter. They don't really matter. Jesus is the first and last of everything that matters. He's the beginning of creation, including our own physical life, as He knit us in our mother's wombs. For th- through Him, John 1.3 tells us, all things were created. So everything, everything Saved, lost, Christian, non-Christian, creature, animal, being, everything has its beginning in Jesus. And He will be there at the end of everything. When all's said and done and everything's over and the dust is all cleared, Jesus, the Omega, is still going to be standing. And the big question, the big question is, did you, did you bow the knee to Him while you, were, while you still had physical life? He's the beginning of true spiritual life. You know, he, he, someone has said before, that he, he owns us twice, he created us, okay, gave us existence, but he also purchased us to make us his own. And therefore, he's the beginning not only of physical existence, he's the beginning for the believer of true spiritual life. As believers are raised to new life in him, depicted by the baptism we just saw of will, through the new birth. And he's the end or goal of the Christian life. That's why we're studying him. He's the goal of our life. We're, we're going to wind up with, at, at his feet until that day. One of the goals, the primary goals, if not the primary goal of life, is to know him. Know him better. Wasn't that Paul's goal in Philippians 3? I think we'll get to that in just a minute. So He's the end or the goal. He's the beginning of the Christian life. He's the end or goal of the Christian life. When we see Him, we will be as He is. So He's our end in that sense. We will be like Him. When everything's over in this present evil age, we will be like Him. In this life, our eyes are fixed on Him as we await the end of The Omega of this present age, which will culminate in the blessed return of the Omega, Jesus, to make all things new. All people, all people, believer and non-believer, all individuals, will ultimately answer to Him. He's the Omega in that sense for everybody. They will ultimately answer to Him, and all people, believer, non-believer, will ultimately bow to Him. The end of the non-believer's life will be punctuated by a dramatic encounter with the Omega. And sadly, it will be too late. It'll be too late. How sad is that? How sad is that? As the Alpha, he offers sinners a new beginning in him. So if you're here today without Christ, hey, new beginning today. New beginning, alpha of your life, right? Bow to the alpha. Bow to Jesus. He's the, he's the, he's the new beginning for a, a sinner's life. He offers them new life. He commands them to bow to him. He gives them a new start through the new birth. And even after salvation, he remains the beginning for us. I, I'm sure... I think I can safely say we've probably, all of us, every one of us, every believer in here has experienced that to some extent because every time we fall, every time we, we sin, he gives us grace to make a new start. I love the old Michael Card song. Michael Card was one of my early musical heroes along with Keith Green and Twyla Paris. after I got saved. And Michael Card sang this, this very moment, this very moment right now, this very moment is filled with his power that we might start anew. To break us away from the past and the future, he does what he must do. And so the Alpha brings to us this moment to commence, to live in the freedom of total forgiveness. Here comes one of my favorite lines of all time, with reckless confidence. With reckless confidence. Not in theirself, That would be reckless. But in Jesus, in Jesus, to live in the freedom of total forgiveness with reckless confidence. As we've said many, many times, total forgiveness means our biggest problem has been taken care of. There is no problem that awaits us in the future that will surmount that problem that Jesus has already taken care of. He's already paid for with his blood. And we can live in the freedom of that. Not worrying about what anybody thinks about us. That's the reckless confidence that I think Card is talking about. Not worrying about what anybody else thinks. All that matters is what Jesus thinks. That's all that matters. Man, I pray our church leaders, our Christian school leaders in our country in this day, when basic biblical norms and teachings are being challenged, oh gosh, I pray they'll hear this, that they will press on in the freedom of total forgiveness with confidence, reckless confidence in that we don't care what the elites say. We don't care what the self-proclaimed know-it-alls and counselors canc- say. We care about what God says. Amen. Total freedom, reckless confidence in the Lord. Card goes on. The beginning, the beginning will make all things new. New life belongs to Him. He hands us each new moment, saying, "My child, begin again. You're free." To start again. So maybe you're here today and you, you need a new beginning. Got good news for you. You can have it in Jesus. You can have it in Jesus. Today's the day. Today's the day for initial salvation, regeneration in Him. And today's the day for repentance and return and renewal. Either way, you can find your new beginning in Jesus, who is the Alpha. The beginning, the first, and he will also be the end, the omega, for every single person but in very different ways. Let's think about that for a minute. For the believer, he's the omega in that he's the end goal of our lives. We long to see him. We long to behold the fullness of his glory, unhindered by fleshly sin. Paul expresses in Philippians 3, Verses 12 to 14, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. In other words, we're on a journey. None of us have arrived, okay? We're running the race. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, one thing, one thing. Now, we all know Paul did a lot of things, but what's, what's, what's he saying here? This is the priority. This is job one. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Why? Because we are in union with the alpha, the beginning, so we can forget. What lies behind? Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. What lies ahead? The Omega. I press on toward the goal. Goal. Goal's an an ending word, right? Omega. Press on toward the Omega. Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So that's how Jesus is the Omega For the believer, for the non-believer, it's a lot, 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 lot sadder. It's a lot more horrific. For the non-believer, he's the omega in that he is the last person that he or she will encounter before being dispatched to the outer darkness and solitariness of hell forever. Every knee will bow before Jesus, the omega. This will be the unbeliever's final act of submission to King Jesus. Final and only act of submission to King Jesus. The one they rejected for all of their life. The one they could have bowed to when they were alive. And enjoyed the total joy and fullness of life. But they didn't. But they didn't. And what's even sadder than that, some that say, or many, according to Matthew 7, many that say they have, won't. Many that are banking their salvation on some repeated prayer or some raised hand when every head was bowed or some walk down an aisle or even baptism or even joining a church— Banking on that instead of banking on Jesus, like Bill and Palmer answered a while ago, resting in Him in His life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension alone for your salvation. Those people will be stunned when they hear, "Depart from me, I never knew you." That's even sadder. To grow up in church all your life, playing the game, doing the churchy stuff. And then answering to the Omega in this fashion and hearing, depart from me, I never knew you. And so after they confess the Omega as Lord, it will be punishment and torment forever. So I ask you, do you need to confess the Alpha as Lord today? Do you need to confess the Alpha as Lord today? So if so, please, please do that. Please ask God to give you the heart to do that. Because God has to do that, right? You can't drum that up. God has to do that. Please don't wait until you see him as the Omega when you will bow to him. In Hebrews 12, chapter, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we see this same idea, this, same, this similar name using different terms. And let me throw this in here, and I can knock out a couple of names in, un, under future letters, okay? In Hebrews 12, we read this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. That's what we're doing, right? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. What does that sound like? Well, it kind of sounds like Alpha and Omega, doesn't it? Founder as somebody who starts something, who found something. They begin something, okay? Like, like an Alpha. Perfecter, what does that well, that's somebody that, that perfects something, right? That ends something, that brings something to c- completion. Kind of sounds like what? Omega. So another way of saying Alpha and Omega is founder and perfecter. Tha- the founder and perfecter of what? Our faith. So this is unique for believers. This name is unique for believers. Founder and perfecter of our faith. An exclusive name of... For believers, because of the word faith. The Greek word is translated founder in the ESV, and it's got set, this was an interesting verse because it's got every one of my parallel translations that I like had a different word for this. So, this gives us a, a sort of a, a bouquet of what this word means, okay? The, the Greek word means one who has a preeminent position, leader. One who begins something, one who begins or, or originates—in other words, alpha. Listen to these alternate translations from, I think, the, uh, the Lexham Study Bible, the Holman Christian Study Bible, uh, the NET Bible, New, New English Translation. Every one of them had a different word, okay? Uh, and they're all connected to the concept of alpha, the beginning of something. Somebody, okay? The Originator and perfector of our faith. Perfector never changed, but the first word did in every one of my alternate translations. Originator and perfector, source and perfector, pioneer and perfector, and one who blazes the trail, one who leads the way, one who goes before us. Jesus, author and perfector. What does an author do? Writes books originates books, creates books, begins books. There you go. He's the originator of our faith. That's true, isn't it? That's true. Apart from him, we're nothing. He originates it. He's his spirit convicts our heart and wakens us up. He's the source. He's the source. He's he's the beginning. He's the pioneer, he's gone before us, he's the author of our faith. Praise the Lord. Perfector, the Greek word means one who brings something to completion without defect or blemish. That's what he's doing for every believer in this room. In other words, he's the omega. He's going to bring your spiritual life to completion. And it will culminate in an exact likeness of himself. He's the one who finishes the job. That's what Jesus is doing with us, right? Philippians 1.6. Paul said, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you. When did that happen? When he gave you new birth, when he gave you a new heart. He who began a good work in you will bring it to what? Completion. Perfection. When? At the day of Christ Jesus. woo, He will finish the work. He is the almighty Omega. So Jesus is the beginning and end of our faith. Yeah, I know what you're thinking right now. Butch, if you take this long on every name, Jesus will come back before you finish. And that'll be okay. That'll be totally okay. Because we've already covered Omega. That'll be totally fine. He's the beginning and end of our faith, beloved. He pays for the gift of faith with his blood. That gift begins our new life in Him. He is the end of our faith because the Spirit of God is completing the work that He began when He saved us, and we will ultimately, in the end, on the last day, be like Him. When we see Him, we will be as He is. 1 John 3.2 Think about it. Think about it now. Don't let this skim past you. Perfect likeness to Christ is where our faith is going. Perfect likeness to Jesus is the end of the road of sanctification. And we give it another name, right? Glorification. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. The author and perfecter of our faith. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the title of this series, by the way. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, let's look at the second one, Hebrews chapter 2. The other four today won't be that long, I promise. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Well, that's what we're doing. We're considering Jesus together. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful? And I hope you have joy in this. I hope this isn't something you're just enduring, you know, fighting off the sleep and everything. I hope you're you're into this. That's my prayer for every one of you. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, the apostle and high priest of our confession who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. So there's our next name, apostle, apostle, Greek word apostolos, meaning messenger, messenger or one who is sent. Just going to give you a few words on this one. Jesus is God's ultimate apostle. He's God's ultimate apostle. Jesus is the one God sent. That's what the word means, one who is sent. Jesus is the one God sent to save us from our sin, to rescue us from the clutches of Satan, to deliver us from an eternity in hell, to redeem us by dying on a cross, to claim us as His blood-bought bride. God wanted us as His children, so He sent Jesus. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Number three. Finally, in First John 2, 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. An advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus is our advocate. The word means one who pleads the cause of another. It's a legal term. It's a legal term, so we're getting into the legalities here of the gospel with this name. Jesus is our defense attorney in heaven, and we're blessed to have him there. He represents us. When Satan accuses us, like he did Job, remember the story of Job? Satan came to the angel meeting and busted it up, and they were talking about Job, and Satan accused him, said his his worship was all phony, all fake. No wonder he worships you. You've given him everything he's ever needed or wanted. No wonder. Just take everything away and see what happens, okay? And you know the story of that. Satan was accusing Job just like he accuses us. And when that happens, Jesus, our advocate, defends us. There's so much going on in the spiritual realms, in the heavenly realms, that we, we don't even think about very much. I hope our church family will start getting the mind to to think about these things more through the renewing of our mind as we consider Jesus, as we look to Jesus. He's our advocate. He represents us before the throne of God, speaking in our our defense, advocating for us. It's, uh, it's, It's directly... Embedded, embodied, and embodied in our life verse for this month. Who is to condemn or accuse? Who who can accuse us? Who can condemn us? Well, why does Paul ask that? Well, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us, representing us, advocating for us, praying for us. All that is included in the intercession ministry of our high priest. There's an H word, high priest, we're going to get there. You know, studying Jesus is like, it's like standing under Niagara Falls, isn't it? It's just overwhelming. I, I pray you're overwhelmed. I pray this series will overwhelm you. If it doesn't, that's not a really good sign. Or it may be an indication of the lack of my ability. But either way, I I just beg God to overwhelm us with the wonder of Jesus. Well, there's a beautiful picture of this advocacy in the Old Testament in Zechariah chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 5. We've read this in our Old Testament readings, but let's look at it again real quick. Zechariah 3, beginning at verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Hmm. wonder who that is. And Satan, standing at his right hand to accuse him. There's Satan doing what he does. Accusing the man of God. Accusing Joshua. Okay. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a, bland, a brand plucked from the fire? There you go. That gets back to the apostle name. That's what Jesus, God sent Jesus to pluck us from the fire. To pluck us from the eternal fires of hell. We don't have to worry about that anymore. And the Lord is saying, here's, here's an example of one that I plucked from the fire. And I'm going to defend him. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Picture of what? Our salvation. A picture of the imputed righteousness of Christ given to us as he takes off our filthy garments and puts them on himself and then allows himself to be nailed to a cross along with our sin, along with our filthy garments. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? Isn't Jesus wonderful? Don't you love the word of God? Behold, I've taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. Just like we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Just like Adam and Eve were clothed with that skins of that first sacrifice, that first slain animal. Picturing Jesus slain for us and the righteousness, the cloak of righteousness that we receive when we trust him. Gosh, I love the word of God. And then verse 5 adds this. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Isn't that beautiful? The angel of the Lord. Maybe, possibly, I would say, probably, Jesus is always standing by. He's always standing by to speak for us. To intercede for us, to defend us, to be our faithful advocate when the accusations of the enemy come. Praise his name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And since we mentioned angel of the Lord, that's number four. We're going to mention angel of the Lord right here. And you can put an asterisk by it because theologians aren't 100% on whether or not this is alluding to Jesus. Personally, I believe it is. Take it, leave it, flush it, chunk it, as my drinking water says. But not going to worry about that. It's beautiful to think about. We'll find out when we get to heaven. Jesus, were you the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament? I can't wait to hear him say yes. I think that's what he's going to say. But I don't know. So you study it, okay, because not a, theologians aren't all united on this one. But since Zachariah mentioned it, let's throw it in, put an asker beside it, you continue to study it. And I'll leave you something to think on. Let's touch on it briefly here. This is a possible name of the Lord. I would say probable, but we'll just say possible to kind of be equal, okay? Uh, this supernatural being appears often in the Old Testament. And you're probably familiar with him. Like Genesis 16, he appears to Hagar when she's banished by Sarah. And the angel of the Lord appears to and her, comforts encourages her. He appears to Abraham in Genesis 22 to stop the knife from piercing into Isaac's flesh, and then provides the ram in the thicket. Picture of who? Our substitute. Oh, but not on S yet. Okay, not on S yet. Okay, but there's the ram in the thicket. Got a substitute. As Westbury Love used to always sing, "Don't kill your boy, I'll use mine." Wow. We're never going to finish this series, I'm telling you. Uh, Then in Exodus 3, angel of the Lord appears where? You know it, burning bush. There he is, burning bush. Numbers 22, talking donkey, Balaam. Yeah, there he is in that alleyway. He appeared to Israel in Judges 2. He comes to Gideon in Judges 6. The Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. He appears to Samson's parents in Judges 13. That's a humorous chapter. Just read that one day. He he thought they were going to die. He came in. Well, we're going to die. We've seen the Lord. He appeared to Elijah in 1 Kings 19 and 2 Kings 1. He came to destroy the Assyrians, 185,000 of them, in 2 Kings 19 during the reign of King Hezekiah. And then the King David in 1 Chronicles 21. I think that's most of them. I think that's all of them. You might, you might find another one. But this angel of the Lord appears often in the Old Testament. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology said this, quote, These are clear instances of the angel of the Lord or the angel of God appearing as God himself. Perhaps more specifically as God the Son. And there you go. He says perhaps. See, that's, that's what I'm saying. Perhaps, maybe, possibly, probably, perhaps, more specifically, as God the Son taking on a human body for a short time in order to appear to human beings. In other words, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And if it's not Jesus himself, then we know for certain it's a, what we call a theophany. A theophany, a visible appearance of God, of the Lord, Cap, all caps, L-O-R-D, all caps, Elohim, Yahweh, a visible appearance of God. And like I said, many, if not most theologians, think it was Jesus. So you can stick that as up there, okay? So, is the angel of the Lord Jesus? Well, that's the question. I can't say with certainty. I don't think anyone can be dogmatic about it. But I can say this. I can say this. 1 John 2.1 tells me Jesus is an advocate in heaven. How do we know he's in heaven? Because it says he's, we have an advocate with the Father. Where's the Father? The Father's in heaven. So 1 John 2.1 tells me clearly that we have an advocate in heaven, an advocate for God's people in heaven. And then Zechariah 3 describes a heavenly vision of somebody in heaven defending Joshua the high priest against the accusations of of satan that seems to go together pretty well but you think about it okay one more name for today number five revelation 3 14 and to the angel of the church in laodicea write this is jesus dictating to john what to write to these seven churches this is the last church number seven church at laodicea and he tells him to write this The words of the amen. The faithful and true witness. The beginning of God's creation. The amen. Jesus is the amen. So every time Gary says amen, he could be saying Jesus. Amen. He's the amen. Which, as we all know, means so be it. Or yes, it's a way to. It's a way to uh, punctuate a statement that you strongly agree with, okay? Yes, so be it. Amen. Uh, Now, think about it. Let's ponder together one last time. Hang with me now. This is such a fitting name for the Lord. This is such a fitting name for Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? Well, let me help you think about it this morning as we close. We desperately needed forgiveness. Because our sins were a barrier between God and us. And God said, Amen. So be it. And he sent Jesus to take our sins on himself and to be nailed to the cross. Thus paying the incalculable debt that purchased our forgiveness. We desperately needed hope because we were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And God said, amen, so be it. And he sent Jesus to give us new birth to, what did Peter tell us, to a living hope. We desperately needed life because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And our Heavenly Father said, amen, so be it. And he sent Jesus to die in our place. And when he was resurrected, we were resurrected with him. We desperately needed cleansing. Because our self-righteousness that we thought was so wonderful and so great was as filthy rags. And God said, Amen. So be it. And he sent Jesus to wash us in his blood. We desperately needed peace because we were enemies of God. God said, amen, so be it, and sent Jesus to purchase our justification. And as Romans 5 tells us, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, please hear me. Please wake up and hear me. Everything we need for life and godliness we find in Jesus. Paul's inspired words say it so beautifully in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes, their amen in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end of all things that matter. He is God's ultimate apostle, the one sent to save us and our eternal advocate, the one who will always stand with us and for us. He might be the mysterious angel of the Lord. And he is definitely God's resounding amen to his eternal plan of redemption. I'm so looking forward to next Sunday. Get get a good night's sleep Saturday night so you can stay awake next Sunday. Spurgeon in his first sermon in the newly constructed Metropolitan Tabernacle on March 25th, 1861, said this. If I am asked to say what is my creed, I think I must reply, it is Jesus Christ. The body of divinity to which I would pin and bind myself forever, God helping me, is Christ Jesus, who is the sum and substance of the gospel, who is himself all theology the incarnation of every precious truth the all-glorious personal embodiment of the way the truth and the life and all god's people said amen let's pray together father thank you thank you for jesus thank you for jesus oh we confess we so we know so little we know so little about him Compared to who he really is. But we're hungry. We're hungry to know. We want to know. I pray right now for those who aren't hungry for that. Please give them that hunger, Father. And now we thank you for this time. To commune with him. And with each other. At the blessed table of grace. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.